for being here with us, for filling this place and us with your presence. And we would just ask that as we come to this time where we uh, open your word, the word of God, we ask that you would lead us, speak to us, that you would give us clarity in what you're calling us to and the courage to be obedient to it. <sighs> Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way, the only way, to spend an eternity in the presence of the Creator God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, hey, uh, I'm Blake. I don't know if I introduced myself earlier, but um, as we jump into the Word today, uh, I just want to say welcome again. Uh, many of you uh, uh, new faces today, and uh, I'm excited that you're here with us. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a sense of where we are as a, as a church family uh, as we jump into this. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 16. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, and if you don't, uh, all of our sermon notes are in the Bible app, uh, the Version Bible app. And Romans 16 is the very last chapter of Romans. Uh, and this is the, uh, the, the last sermon in a year-long uh, journey through the book of Romans. And so uh, if you're new, just in time. You are, ju you are just in time. But all of this uh, has been part of a series this fall entitled Made for More. And we believe that whether you're here for the first time today and you're not really sure why you're here, or whether you've been here for a long time, or whether you've, you know, you're walking with Jesus or you're not, we believe that the creator of the universe God himself has made you for more. And uh, we're asking hard questions like, who's God made me to be? What has God asked me to do? And where does God want me to go? And um, we're asking those in the context of how he's created us. And so um, as a church, we've been answering those uh, on, a, on a, a community scale. And, uh, and so as we've thought about those questions, we've realized that God has created Christ Community Church to be a kneecap to be a kneecap, to be a group of people that uh, there's some cool anatomy stuff like that takes the strength of the Lord and uh, helps use that to propel others forward into who God has called them to be. He's called us to be peacemakers, uh, to learn how to navigate conflict and, and everyday conflict so that we can be peacemakers because we believe the gospel is so clearly seen when we become peacemakers. He's called us to, to love outside our gifts. Uh, to just be the kind of people that simply uh, love others well. He's called us to, to follow Jesus first, above all the other authorities in our lives, to put him in a position of priority. Uh, last week we talked about the idea that he's calling us to go find discipleable people, uh, those who are receptive to the gospel. How do, we, how do we find those people in our lives? And then today as we finish out Romans, we're going to talk about uh, where, where else we think he's calling us to go, and that's to go advance the gospel. Okay, go advance the gospel. So we're excited that you're here. Like I said, I encourage you to find Romans 16. But as we jump in, uh, I want us to watch this short clip from a well-known movie. This is, this is classic. you got to love this. I'm not selling. Then he builds the field, and they all come. And I envy the voice of James Earl Jones. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have the voice of James Earl Jones? Man, it's a great movie and a great clip. If you would, allow me to take some creative liberties. Read it with a little bit of a different twist. Ray, people will come, Ray. 
They're going to come to Christ Community Church for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn into Governor's Square, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at the door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say, the offering buckets are in the back. And they'll pass over their money without even thinking about it. For it's money they have and peace they lack. Ray just signed the papers. And they'll walk over to the metal chairs and they'll sit inside when the weather outside is much nicer. And they'll find that they have reserved seats somewhere where they sat when they were children. And they'll watch people up front and it'd be as if they dipped themselves in magic water. The memories will be so thick, they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bake opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come. Ray, I, James Earl Jones, come on. I should have called him and seen if he could read this or something. I don't know. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But church has marked the time. This building, this church, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. It's a beautiful scene. But this is so far from the truth. And yet we operate as if this is a reality. If we just build it, people will come. The reality is, the truth is, our mission field is not like the field of dreams. Our mission field is not like the field of dreams. Here at Christ Community, we dream of 1% of the people in, in a 10-county region being connected to Jesus through new churches. We dream of local churches that become sending portals for servant-minded community leaders. We dream of the next person who's going to step out and surrender their life to Christ and find ultimate peace with Him. Finding that a life lived with Jesus is often uncomfortable, but filled with the most comforting kind of peace. As we come to the close of the book of Romans, Paul was dreaming of reaching Rome for the gospel. Rome was the epicenter of the world in those times. And we have spent a year in the letter that he wrote to them as he was waiting to see that dream come true. In Paul's mind, if he could just reach Rome, if he could just get the gospel to Rome, it would change the world. And for both us and Paul, there are no amount of resources that can make those dreams come true. Our mission field is not the field of dreams. It's not simply about us building things and people coming. You know, shortly after we moved into this space as a church in 2014, people were knocking on the door all the time. If they weren't knocking, they were at least peeking in the windows. That was almost more fun, to sit there and watch them peek in the windows. One day, uh, a gentleman came in and he wanted to have a conversation with me. And so I shared a bit of the church's story and how we'd come to be in this space. And then I asked him about how he had ended up here. And he shared a bit of his story. And then the conversation began to change. And he looked at me and he said, hey, I've got a, I've got a, a more serious question. I said, okay. 
He said, would my partner and I be welcome to worship here? I said, absolutely. Knowing he was asking for more, I began to ask clarifying questions. And he began to share his disgust with the church for rejecting homosexuality. I empathized often. I listened quite a bit. But I was also sure to answer his questions about our beliefs on acting on homosexual feelings. It is sinful, but it is no more sinful than my prideful heart or my judgmental attitude. But it is sinful nonetheless. And we preach a gospel that says when we recognize there's sin in our life, we all need to turn away from that sin and turn to the God who has made us for more. So we had good back and forth conversation. And we began to see each other around town. And multiple times I, I would invite him to come and to join us, find a place to belong as we all sought to seek God together. And so I'd see him in coffee shops. Uh, we exchanged books from time to time, different things, perspectives. I continued to invite him. And he never came. You know, isn't the dream that if you just build it, they will come. Our mission field is not the field of dreams. You know, maybe you haven't had this exact experience, but perhaps you've had one that's similar. You've invited someone to church, hopefully, uh, hoping that they would come, only to be disappointed. Uh, you've had hard conversations with non-believers that turned into an invite that turned into nothing. You've brought someone to church only for them to, to not get it or to not enjoy it, and they only came that one time. Y'all, our mission field is not a field of dreams. It is not a field of dreams. Having this building to gather in, being able to, to have worship experiences here together, it's important. It's a huge blessing. But our mission field, man, it's something different. Just because it's built doesn't mean that people will come. So how is Paul, as he writes this letter to the Romans, how is he going to see his dream of Rome being one for Christ achieved? And as we look at that and try to answer that question from Romans 16, I, I believe, I hold on to the hope that we can see how God might fulfill the dreams that he has given to this church. Romans 16.20, we read one of my favorite verses. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You know, we have become so consumed with ourselves that we believe that the mission of Christ is up to us, but the reality, the truth of the gospel is that the gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. The gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. And the beauty of the gospel is what we read here in, in Romans 16, 20. That the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Like, what does that mean? What, what, like, okay, that sounds good that, that God is crushing something, but what does that mean? Go with me on a little bit of a journey all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, something has just happened that most of the world is familiar with now that we all have iPhones with apples on the back of them with a bite out of them, right? Satan has taken on the form of a serpent. He's tempted Adam and Eve. And God comes in and he, he, he tells them what the curse is, what the, the consequences of their actions are going to be. In verse 14, he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And then he says this, 
I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Y'all, this is amazing. The curse that we see and read about in Genesis chapter 3 Paul reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan, the head of the serpent, under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus is to be with you. The curse will be reversed. What God promised in the garden is soon to happen. You say, well, what does that mean for me? Whose feet is it crushed under? Under your feet. See, the hope of the gospel is that just when we're ready to quit, just when things seem too hard, just when we're like, man, you know what, just forget this. This is too much. We are reminded that the God of peace will soon crush Satan, soon crush him under your feet. The hope of the gospel says don't quit now. The hope of the gospel says don't give up on your battle with sin. Don't stop seeking to live a holy life. Don't settle for mediocre because in just a minute, Jesus will help you crush the one that's telling you that your mediocre faith is okay. The gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus is to be with you. That's the gospel message to you. And today, if you don't have that kind of peace, if you don't know the God of peace, if you don't know that you're going to be a conqueror and a co-heir and victorious in Christ, that is the first thing that we want for you. We want it more than anything. Not for us, but for you. And that was the same gospel message that Paul wanted to get to Rome. It was the same gospel message that Paul believed could change the world. He could write that down, but how would it begin to take effect in people's lives in Rome? How would the truth of the gospel begin to transform people there? How was the gospel getting to Rome? The gospel is getting to Rome not by Paul, but by the God that Paul introduced to other people. The gospel was getting to Rome, not by Paul, but by the God that Paul introduced to other people. I love Romans chapter 16 for a lot of reasons, and I'm going to read through the first 15 verses with you, and um, you're just going to have to give me grace as we go through some of these names. But these names are so important because they become the carriers, the messengers, the ones the gospel is sent through. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a servant of the church in Sincrea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Give my breedings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphaena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Who wants to be Rufus? I love that name. Also his mother and mine. 
Greet Asyncrete, yeah, that guy, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. 26. 26 men and women, people whom Paul has clearly connected with and invested in and discipled and shared the gospel with, who are now either in Rome or they are taking the gospel there. They are living out and fulfilling Paul's dreams to see the gospel advance to Rome. The gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. The gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. Do you believe that to be true? Because if you do, it changes the way that you live your daily life. It's his grace that allows us to even be a part of the plan. To even be a part. So what are you supposed to do? Paul writes further down in verse 26, 25 and 26. He says, now, To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages. That's the gospel. But it is now revealed and made known to the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go advance the gospel, the obedience to the faith. But How? How? How do we do this? I think, it, I think it's pretty clear here in this chapter that obedience plus action, obedience plus action equals advancement. Look at verse 19 with me if you would. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, the report of your obedience has reached everyone. How many times have you lived in such a way that it's your obedience that people are talking about. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. And obedience is this thing that like, we, just, we think it's for little kids. Like my toddler is supposed to be obedient to me. Obedience is for all of us as children of the creator God. How do we continue to be obedient? Paul says, be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. This word innocent, it's only used a few times in the New Testament. And, and it, it boils down to like almost the idea of being unmixed. Like I'm not going to mix it up with the wrong people, with the wrong crowd. I'm not going to mix it up with the wrong kind of things. And the other times it's used, Matthew 10, 16, we read this. It says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And so you see this word, it, it, it begins to take on this connotation that obedience has to do with where God is sending you, where he wants you to go with the gospel. It's not just about living a really good, holy life. Obedience is about doing what he says you're supposed to do. It's about going where you're supposed to go. He writes this in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's hard enough. So that you may be blameless. And that's the word right there. Blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. You see this idea of being obedient to God, of, of really not mixing it up with the things of this world, but being obedient to the one who made you for more. 
It's given to you. That calling is so that others might hear the reports of your obedience. It's not so that you can say you're a good person. It's not so that you can feel better about your life. It's not so that you can obtain the next position on the ladder. It's so that you would shine like stars in the universe. It's so that the reports of your obedience will be heard around the world. We spent a year thinking about how God has set us apart. Romans 1.1, the very beginning verse, we, we set this vision for the year. This is Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is that idea, that our lives would be set apart, that they would look different, that, that we would be obedient in a way that stands out so that others might know the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come to set us free from sin and death. Why do we need to be set apart so that we can shine? And what are we setting our lives apart for? Not for ourselves, but for those who have not heard the name. The quickest way to make the gospel uh, that has power to save powerless is to not live a life of obedience to Jesus and his word. You sap the power right out of it. You see, obedience doesn't mean perfection. It means constantly submitting to what Christ wants for you. It means quickly moving away from the things that scripture reveals to us aren't right. Community groups who have been on this made for more journey with us this week, you're going to begin to hone in on what is my unique mission? My unique mission. The challenge won't necessarily be in figuring out what that is. The challenge will be in being obedient to it once God shows it to you. Obedience to the gospel leads to opportunities to share the gospel. But obedience alone doesn't mean that the gospel advances. It's obedience plus action what is that action supposed to look like? Jesus, before he left the world, gave us the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, a passage familiar to many of us, verses 18 through 20, it says, Jesus came near. I love that he came near. This wasn't something that he did from a distance and just echoed down. He came near to his disciples and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, we're with Jesus when we're on mission, when we're making disciples, when we're baptizing and discipling and we're helping someone figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's when we are with him. That's how we go outside. So I want to do a little exercise with us. I don't know how to do the new math they're teaching in schools this day, but I do know how to do this kind of math. All right. So um, Christ Community Church. We are nine years old. And over those nine years, we have baptized an average of 12 people a year. Okay. All right. Somebody's good at math. What's 9 times 12? That's a hard one. So let's go up to 10. 120. Okay? 120, magic number. Very good. All right. This is going to be fun. Y'all ready? Let's say, Matt Simons, I heard your voice, man. All right. So, and he, he, was, he was wrong. So this is, this is great. You're so wrong, you're right. Matt Simons is one guy. And Matt Simons decides, you know what? I'm going to take this next year, and I'm going to invest my life in one other person. I'm going to just pass on what, I'm, what, the, Lord, what the Lord is teaching me. 
I'm going to share meals with them. I'm going to invite them into my home. I'm going to help them figure out what it looks like to live an obedient life. But I'm going to do that over the course of the next year, right? One becomes two. And the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to, whoever that person is, I'm going to help them catch the vision that if they would do the same thing, the Lord would change the world. That the gospel would go where God is sending it, not where I'm taking it. Because I believe in the power of him and not in the power of me. And so then in year two, this crazy thing happens. He does it again, and this guy does it again, and we're up to four people in year two. And you're like, yeah, but Blake, one church already, like, they can do 120, so you don't really need me to do this, okay? All right, great. But then the crazy thing happens in year three. All four of them have caught this vision, and they multiply themselves again. I can't write backwards now. I'm getting the big numbers, five, six, seven, eight. All right, very good. Year three, we're at eight. If they do that again, in year four, we're at 16. In year five, we're at 32. You catching my drift? We're getting there. Uh, what is this? This is year five. and year six, we're at 64. Year seven, we're at 120. Oh, year seven, we just passed where we are as a church. This goes to 256. In year eight, 512. In year nine, and 1,024 people in year 10. All because one person. One person said, I'll take a whole year and invest it in someone else. We call that the power of multiplication. And that power of multiplication isn't by accident. It's by design. You may remember in the garden, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. You may remember that when God called Abraham, he said to him, I will multiply your descendants, as numerous as the stars in the universe. You may remember in the book of Acts, as the gospel began to take over the world, that things were happening that were unexplainable, that one person was investing in another, and the gospel was multiplying from person to person, from city to city, from place to place. This is God's design. That if we would believe that the world could change, that if we would believe that one person at a time, people's lives would go from wrecks to these these places of peace, these portals where people look at them and they're like, I don't know what's different about them, but something, someone has a hold of them and made them different. This is that. This is the power of multiplication. 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul writes this because he understands the vision. He says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's a really simple idea. That we would just submit ourselves to be obedient to investing ourselves in one person. You're like, Blake, I don't know if I can do that. You can. And Romans 16, as much as it's already shown us, shows us how simple it can be. So I want you to, to in your mind right now, ask the Lord, Lord, show me one person that I should be doing this with. One person. And then I want you to begin to think about being intentional about doing these five things that we see in Romans chapter 16. Number one is pass on what's being taught to you. Pass on what's being taught to you. In Romans 16 verses 1 and 2, we, say, we see this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. The word is deacon in the text of the church in Sincrea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. Phoebe, 
is an amazing sister in Christ. She's an amazing leader in the church. She is the one that church history would say was chosen to deliver Paul's greatest letter to the Rome, to the church in Rome. She was passing on what had been passed to her. She was a mature sister in Christ that was leading the church in Rome through her actions. That one person in your mind, can you pass on what's been taught to you? Maybe you just look at what we've learned as a year in the, this year as a church and you say, can I just walk through the book of Romans with you? Week to week, can we just go back and talk about what the sermon was and get into the scripture based on the, what we had that week? I heard another example. Uh, there's a million ways to do this is what I'm getting at. I heard of another guy. I love this. He picked the 25 verses that were the most impactful to his life. It helped him to understand what the gospel was and he wrote them down. And every year, every year this guy picks one guy and he hands him that list and he says, would you take these 25 verses, read through them, write down everything about them, your questions, your comments, your thoughts, and then let's go through those together for the next 12 months. And then at the end, would you do the same with someone else? It's amazing. That guy's made more disciples than many people will ever know. Pass on what's being taught to you. The second is, uh, is this, work together. Verses 3 and 4, I love what Paul says about this next group. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do also the, so do all the Gentile churches. This is Priscilla, is also her name, and Aquila. They were tent makers. Paul and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they just worked together like to make sure that the gospel went, to make sure churches were planted. They built tents together. They worked together. They got their hands dirty together. Uh, I love this about our Love Shelbyville Day, right? Like, we just get in and we work together, and the Lord builds relationships through that. And so how can you disciple someone that you're working together with? Maybe it's a project at work that's going to last a year. Maybe there's a project uh, at your house. Um, maybe it's a side hustle that you're going to work together with. Who is that person that you, or that person, how can you find a way to work together with them on some meaningful product project? Um, so we see passing on what's been passed to you. We see working together. Uh, it is important to share the gospel. Verse 5. Verse 5, Paul writes, Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. The reality is, is that we can do a lot of good things. We can teach a lot of morals. We can teach all these things. But we do, we must share Christ. Because they might be the first one in their home. They might be the first one in their family. They might be the first one to accept Christ and to start a movement of gospel-centered living. We must share the gospel. We also must sit through pain. Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Paul sat with these folks in prison. He was with them through pain and suffering. And if we commit our lives to spending a year, like if we, if we say if for a year I'm going to invest myself in the life of this person, they're going to have some kind of pain. Will you sit with them through it? Because as you do, the power is not in telling them that everything is going to be okay. Number one, you don't know that, and you have no control over that. The power is in the presence, the listening, the giving of yourself to them. And then number five, become family. I love in verse 13 when Paul writes about my good old buddy Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother and mine. Is Rufus's mom really Paul's mom? No. 
but she had become like a mother. And this becomes the natural overflow of these discipling relationships. They become family. They become like family to us. You see, this idea of multiplying ourselves one person at a time in other people's lives, this isn't a project. This isn't homework. This is a relationship. Kenny tweeted this week, a conference he was at, a quote, says, the gospel is shared best on the wings of relationship. And we believe that to be true here. Because it's moments with Jesus that lead to Jesus' movement. It's moments with Jesus that lead to Jesus' movements. Don't miss the opportunity to see the gospel advance because it isn't moving at the speed you would like to see. Be willing to invest yourself in one person at a time. Many people today like to say we often overestimate what we can do in one year, but we underestimate what we can do in ten. Christ community, we're closing in on ten. God has done immeasurably more than what we could have imagined in ten years. There are people far from Christ who have come to know Him, who now sit among us as brothers and sisters. Churches being started. Missions and ministries around the world partnered with us. Ten years ago, none of that was even in existence. And we couldn't have made all that happen on our own. But let's not fall into the trap that the church is built and people will just keep coming. Let's not do that. Let's keep going outside one person at a time. I want to quickly share the story of two one-persons that have been impacted by the ministry of Christ's community. One of them, you guys, if you've been here, you may have heard. A woman in our community who, uh, as we began to plant the church at Midland, uh, she came by one day. She'd heard about our vision to see a multi-ethnic gathering of believers in the Midland community. She came over and she knocked on the door. She comes in. She's broken. You can see that. And we just begin to sit. We're sitting right back there about by the sound booth. Sitting in metal folding chairs. They work. We're just talking through her story. She's sharing about something going on with her son and and how much prayer he needs, and she's gone through this messy divorce. And as she's going through all this, she looks up and she sees on the back wall a picture of the house. She freezes. Says, everything okay? I said, where'd that picture come from? So that picture was a picture of the first house, like we weren't even a church yet. And we were helping uh, one of the local ministers, I think it was Operation Care, to redo this house uh, for, for a lady who was in a situation that she needed to get out of, and she, was, she, she needed to move in there. And so we were helping them get that ready. She said, that's my house. That's my house. The gospel goes where God sends it, not where you take it. So are you willing 
to, out of obedience, do what God has called you to do today, to, to just simply invest in one person at a time, in one thing at a time, to do the next thing, to be obedient to what God is calling you to in the moment. There's another guy. His name's Greg. Greg is a member at Christ Community Church, and I so loved uh, that Midland Midland Community Church. Uh, this is their second Sunday in a new space over there in their new community, uh, in that building. And um, I love seeing this comment from Greg Horn on Facebook. <clears throat> he comments on one of the statuses, and he says, "This is the second time that I've helped." Our church moved buildings. It's like, that's awesome. And Bobby, pastor over in Midland, so wisely jumps in and he says, that's because you're a part of the team, Greg. You're a part of the team. First time we met Greg was on a Love Shelbyville day. We partnered with Habitat for Humanity and his house was in terrible disrepair. And we just, we went in, we, we helped. We were working to serve him. And he was so desperate for a relationship that we just continue to meet with him, to talk with him, to learn his story. And we watched as the Lord called him in, changed his life. Greg was baptized. He turned from his sin. He said, I want to walk with Jesus. Now the Lord has used Greg Horn to help Midland Community Church move into two new buildings. One person at a time. You know, sometimes I wonder, too, if there's some Sams and some Susies. Sams and Susies who say things like, I was part of a church once. I remember that moment of really falling in love with Jesus. I remember those, those moments. They, those were good days. Maybe like the days, the early days of Christ's community. The days where we can remember sharing Jesus with our friends. But now life is just so full I feel like I've gotten all I'm going to get out of this church thing. It's served me well. My kids have a solid base. I've got some friends. Church, my relationship with Jesus, they're important, but so are a lot of other things now. You know what I think that lady would remind us of? You know what I think Greg Horn would remind us of? You know what I think Jesus would remind us of? That the God of peace will soon crush Satan. It's happening soon, and it's under your feet. You can be victorious with him, so don't quit now. Don't give up on your battle with sin. Don't stop seeking a holy life. Don't settle for mediocre, because in just a minute, Jesus will help you crush the one that's telling you that mediocre faith is okay. Don't quit advancing the gospel one person at a time. If you're Sam or Susie, let today be a moment that leads to movement. Movement in your life and movement in the life of those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And to guarantee that that's going to be true, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you to the very end of the age. Today as the band comes back up, and we sing and we respond to the gospel. We're going to pray the prayer that closes the book of Romans together and move into our time of response. Uh, during our time of response, um, there's lots of things that you might do. If you're a baptized believer in Christ, 
you've given your life to him, you, you've repented, you've been baptized, you, you say, I'm in for Jesus, we want to invite you to come forward, take a piece of the bread that represents Christ's body, and dip it in the juice that represents his blood that was shed as he died on the cross, so that that grace and peace could be ours. Today, if you're not able to take that because you haven't been, you're not a believer, you haven't been baptized, you haven't turned from your sins, then we want to invite you to come, maybe to give your life to Christ for the first time, maybe to say, you know what, I'm Sam or Susie, and I've settled, and it's time for me to lean back in. I'll be in the back of the room with some of our other pastor elders, and I'd be glad to, to talk with you about what your next step is, to help you take those next steps, maybe to be baptized, maybe to simply say, you know what, I'm back in, I'm in. Let's pray together that the Lord would help me to be in. Also during this time of response, we can just give ourselves to him in worship, to sing with all of our heart. That's important. It's not just something that we do for entertainment or for show, but to truly worship the creator of the universe. And last but not least, we encourage you to give. And as we give, we see the gospel advance through our partners, through this church, and through our partners uh, overseas and internationally. You can do that by giving in the cans in the back, and then we'll pray for our offering as we close our time of response. So right now, I want to invite everybody to stand with me. And we're going to read these last few verses of Romans chapter 16. This is Paul's prayer as he closes one of his greatest works, the letter to the Romans. Today, I want, to, I want to invite you to pray it with us. You don't have to. I want you to be convinced that you are giving your yes to advancing the gospel, that you're giving your yes to the God that we're getting ready to pray to. But if you do, I want to encourage you to pray it with us. So we begin to read together, Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. And it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory forever. Amen.